Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We are saved by faith. We are to walk by faith. We are to live by faith. We're going to die in faith. Faith is our whole life when it comes to the Lord. And I want to share a really awesome story with you tonight. And I always have to add, when I say story, I'm not talking about something that's fiction or, or you know, a fairy tale. Maybe I should use the word an account of a particular woman's faith. And I entitled the message tonight, Coincidence or Sovereignty? Now, our lesson tonight deals with another story about Elisha, the Shunammite woman, and the the Shunammite woman. Back in chapter 4, she had shown kindness, if you're, again, familiar with the story, she had shown kindness to Elisha and his servant earlier in Elisha's ministry. She had provided room and board for him. And in return for her kindness, he blessed her with a child as a reward for serving him. And then she received another reward when Elisha raised her son from the dead. And even though her kindness had already brought her rich rewards, they still kept coming. God's rewards for showing kindness to his servants never run out. And here's the lesson. Take care of God's servants and God will take care of you. Now, not many... Years have passed since we last saw the Shunammite woman in the scriptures. But in those few years, a lot had changed in her life. And as we all know, a lot can change in a single day. We find her a widow now in this section of scripture. Because her husband is no longer part of the scene here. So the household is totally her responsibility. Her and her son. But you see, even though she does not have her husband now and things have changed drastically for her and she's a widow and her husband's no longer a part of the household her faith hasn't changed it's still strong and Elisha hadn't forgotten about her kindness and all of this is clear in our text which ends with a wonderful and divinely ordered coincidence that brought a lot of blessing to the Shunammite woman Now, Elisha's ministry isn't necessarily within or written in chronological order. This story doesn't follow the events of the preceding verses in Scripture because Gehazi, if you remember, Elisha's former servant, is found here talking freely with the king. So it must have been before he he was cured of leprosy. Because remember, a leper couldn't move around so freely in society. They were separated from society. They were separated from all people. Lepers were forced to live outside the city gates, especially in Gehazi's case, because he had the worst kind of leprosy. 2 Kings 5.27 said that he had leprosy, that it was white as snow. That was, you know, really one of the worst stages. Gehazi, though, was cured with leprosy back in chapter 5. Or, I'm sorry, was cursed with leprosy back in chapter 5. So the experience of the Shunammite woman happened during the time of the events of of chapters 4, 38 through uh, 44, And that famine spoken of in that passage in verse 38 is the same famine here in our text tonight. But again, it's not necessary that Elisha's experience is recorded in the right order in time 
to keep scripture from contradiction. We need to remember that scripture's main purpose isn't to give an exact order of things. An exact order of, of events. That Again, the main purpose is spiritual instruction. And we get a lot of spiritual instruction from this passage no matter where it would be placed in the scriptures. So in studying what happened to the Shunammite woman in, in Elisha's life. We'll consider many things in how the Lord guided this lady's life and mark them down as they come up. And in verses 1 through 6, Elisha was given a divine revelation about a famine that was coming to Israel. And Elisha, after he receives this revelation from God, he tells the Shunammite woman. And he tells her about it so that she could adequately prepare for the famine that was coming so she'd be able to get through it. Proverbs 25, 14 says the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. The word secret here means intimate conversation, plans and purposes. And as we walk with the Lord, according to his word, we develop a close relationship with him and understand his ways better. We get to know him better. Now, others didn't know about this famine and it was going to catch them off guard. But not Elisha, nor the Shunammite woman. You see, what advantages there are in being on good terms with God. Now, a famine spoke of judgment. This was a judgment against Israel's sinful living. Now, a famine wasn't a normal weather, wasn't part of a weather, a normal weather cycle. It was abnormal. And specifically, it was called for by God, as we'll see in verse one. We see other incidences of famines uh, call for in Haggai chapter 1, verse 11. Listen to what it says there. For I, God, call for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and in all the labor of your hands. Psalm 105, 16. Moreover, he, God, called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. You know, many times when we see the things in our nation... Droughts, famines. I'm wondering if fires could be included. It's God's judgment. God's judgment. He said he wiped out the land in Psalm 105, 16, destroyed all the provision of bread. That means people will be hungry. Where they're going to eat. And I believe God is judging this nation and, and particularly California. Because of all the, 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 the sin and the things going on in this nation and in this, this state that are against the word of God as we see attack on Christianity, attack on the word of God. I'm sure you all heard about the thing with Greg Laurie. You know, and, and just all of the, the things that are taking place. You know, not being able to read our Bibles or, or, or teach the word of God. I mean, it's getting, it's getting tougher and tougher. Famines were planned by God. Famines were ordered by God. They were controlled by God. And they came up upon a people because of their evil. Not because of sin, or, uh, not because of some whim or fancy from an erratic behaving God. God doesn't behave like that. And this famine was twice as long. It was seven years as the one in Elijah's day, which was three and a half years based on James 5.17. That says something about the nature of God's judgment. You see, when we don't respond well to God's chastening, he's going to chase us again. Only harder. 
And we see this truth emphasized in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 14 through 17. Listen to what it says. God says, but if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, he says, I also will do this to you. Notice God says, I'm going to do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain because your enemy shall eat it. I will set my face against you and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you and you shall flee when no one pursues you. It starts out with God saying that he will chastise his people if they don't obey him. And then he says in verse 18 of Leviticus 26, he says, and after this, that is after this chastisement, he says, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And the phrase, I will punish you seven times more, is repeated four times in these warnings in Leviticus. It means a complete punishment, since seven is the Hebrew number signifying completeness. Each period of chastisement would be full and it would be complete with nothing lacking. And the next period would be more severe than the previous one. I mean, the lesson is very clear. Hebrews 12.5 says, do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. And the writer viewed the trials of the Christian life as spiritual discipline that could help a believer mature. Now, instead of trying to escape the difficulties of life, we should be trained by them. As Hebrews 12, 11 says, that we might grow. And that's what trials are meant to do for us. They're, they're meant to, to help us to grow and to mature in Christ. We also read in Hebrews, I'm sorry, Proverbs 11, 3, 11 through 12. Solomon said, my son, do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So when God takes you to the woodshed, don't pout. Don't complain. Because it's a good way to get another spanking. And even worse than the first one. Remember when you were crying with your mom and dad? used to, You want something to cry about? I'll give you something to cry about. This revelation that came to Elisha about the famine, it came with a command. It came with orders to obey. It was this command, this revelation that was given to the Shunammite woman from Elisha, Elisha, it wasn't just to give the woman more head knowledge. It wasn't just to satisfy her curiosity about future things to come. It was given to her to guide her life, to guide her conduct. In verse 1, it says, take your family and move to some other place. Those were her orders. We can always expect commands to come with revelation. Because all divine revelation is given to instruct us, to instruct the way we behave. And this is a basic truth that must guide us in all of our study of the word of God. You know, today it's so very popular in our churches and Bible study groups to study the scriptures differently. Not line upon line and precept upon precept. Oh, facts and figures and interesting tidbits about the Bible. Oh, they're, they're, they're popular. They're discussed and they're made known in these kinds of studies. But there's no practical application that's made at the end. 
And you see, a lot of people like these kinds of studies because, you see, when you leave and there's no uh, application, there's no conviction of the truth about sin, you don't step on anybody's toes. You don't prick their hearts with the word of God. And a person can stay very comfortable in a Bible study like this, but it's not a real study. So God doesn't approve of a study like this. Divine revelation, the word of God isn't given to us so we can so we can sit and admire it. It is given to us to obey and to apply it to our life. That's the case here with the Shunammite woman. And it's the same in every other case. James 1 22 tells us be doers of the word of God and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. He also says in James 1.25, don't be a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed, notice, in what he does. You want the blessings of God? It's in what you do. It's not in what you hear or what you say. The Lord Jesus puts a premium on doing. Elisha told the woman to move. To move. And he told her why she should move. There's a famine on the way. Now, what, would, what good would it do her to hear the news that a famine is coming, but not follow the command to move? You see, the command came first. The reason later. You see, in her case, the reason followed quickly, but sometimes it doesn't. Now, this is where faith comes into the picture. Do you have enough faith to trust God without him giving us a reason to trust him? We'd better have that kind of faith. If God says it, that's reason enough to do it. And sometimes God graciously gives us a number of reasons for obeying him. But whether or not we have a reason, we must always obey him. And don't be surprised if you know the orders before you, the, you know the reason for the orders. It's simply a test of your faith. And rest assured, God has plenty of reasons. Just like he does here to justify the order that he gave the Shunammite woman. But don't be so carnal that you insist on knowing why before you obey his word. There is a divine priority placed on the command that is that is more important than the reason. And remember, God's timing is always perfect. He's never late. He's never early. And he tells us what we need to know, when we need to know it, if we need to know it. The woman was told what she needed to do before the famine came. Why? So that she could adequately prepare for it. And it was a big help to her to be able to move before the famine came. And she was affected by it. Knowing ahead of time, she'd have time to think and to choose where where would be the best place to go, the best place to live. And it wouldn't be as dangerous traveling through the land. The wisdom of God. Now, failure to do our duty can never be blamed on God for not telling us our duty soon enough. Now, if we're ignorant of our duty, when we need to know what it is, 
We can blame ourselves for not listening to God when he told us what our duty was. The testimony of God's faithfulness is in revealing our duty in time is spoken by Jeremiah when he said in Jeremiah 25, 4, and the Lord has sent to you all his, his servants and prophets rising early and sending them, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. So many times when God speaks to us, we're not listening. And then we get caught off guard and then we get mad at God and we blame him. God had also sent other prophets who warned the people to turn from their evil ways and their evil practices. And if the people would have listened to the prophet's warnings, God would have graciously let them stay in the land and he wouldn't have done them any harm. But unfortunately, the people didn't listen to God and they continued in their idolatry and they brought harm to themselves. God sends us what we need to know early in plenty of time. But too often, we're like the Israelites who didn't respond well to the timely messages. But the woman here, she responded well to the revelation that she was given. Now let's look at uh, chapter 8 with verses 1 and 2. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. Verse 2. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. Notice her obedient response to this special revelation that was given to Elisha and then given to her. It clearly shows her faith. It shows us how really committed she was to God's word. One man said, for those who believe in God, no explanation is necessary. For those who don't, no explanation is possible. Notice her response was quick. Her response was quick. She didn't wait. She didn't ask questions. Well, wait a minute, Elisha, let's talk about this. God was quick in his revelation. She needed to be quick in obeying that revelation or the revelation wouldn't do her much good. How many times has God told us to do something and we him and haw and we wait and all of a sudden something happens? Well, it wouldn't have happened if I would obey his word. Now, for her to act as quickly as she did, that took a lot of faith. She was told to move. She moved. Now, think of it. It wouldn't have taken nearly as much faith to move if the famine had already struck. And the land was severely being damaged by the famine. And the land could no longer support her and her son. She goes, I need to get out of here. But she, she left before any of that took place. She was commanded to move before the famine even comes. We can always argue with God. Lord, are you sure? <laughs> now think about her position. She's leaving her home. Elisha, what about my house? <laughs> what about all my belongings? Aren't you taking this a little bit too seriously? What if you're wrong, Elisha? What if you just you were hearing voices and it wasn't God? 
Christmas Evans said this, faith is not a sense nor reason, but simply taking God at his word. A.W. Tozer said, if all of our five senses just fight and, and, and disagree with what God is telling us to do, ignore them and follow the word of God. The woman obeyed Elisha's command without question. There's no sign that she complained about the hand that God dealt her in her life. There's no complaint about how hard this trial was going to be for her. You see, when you're living a life of faith, you don't complain. Because if you understand faith and you understand God is in control, what do I have to complain about? But on the other hand, when we grumble at our lot in life, it's a sure sign that unbelief is controlling us. Complainers do not respond well to commands. And they don't treat those very well who give them the commands either. They can be disrespectful and they can be ungrateful. But that's not the case here with the Shunammite woman. She responded with good-mannered behavior to the revelation that she received from Elisha. So her faith showed, again, and her faith responded quickly. Faith also is inconvenient sometimes. The command was inconvenient. There is no doubt. It wasn't easy for her to obey this command. It would be, it would be hard just for sentimental reasons. Elisha, th- this, is, this is my home. She was being asked to leave her home. Elisha, this is, this is where, where me and my husband and my son lived. We have fond memories here. It's where my friends are. It's where everything I, I know is. Everything I'm familiar with is right here at home. So it would be, and it would be harder for her, her to move now because she's a widow. Because her husband isn't there to take charge of the move. It would also be expensive. Faith sometimes is expensive. It would be expensive for her to move. Obedience is costly. Jesus was obedient unto death, the scripture says. But obedience comes with a high price tag. But you know what? It's always worth it. We might experience loss from the world's point of view, but by, obe- by obeying God's commands. But you know, which would, we pref- which would you prefer? Worldly gain or a conscience that's at peace with God? Which is the bigger loss? A few bucks or the loss of the Heavenly Father's smile on your life? Her response to Elisha's command was wise. Think about where she went. She went to the land of the Philistines. Now, normally, going to the land of the Philistines speaks of backsliding. But not in this situation. Remember where David went? He went to Gath, the land of the Philistines, where he killed Goliath. He went there to get away from Saul for almost a year and a half. But God didn't tell him to go. He thought that would be the best place for him to get away from Saul. But he was out of the will of God. God didn't tell him to go. But God had told this woman here, go where you think is best for you. The woman was told to live where she thought would be best. 
Now, God doesn't have to tell us where to go when he's already given us wisdom to make the choice. So she chooses a place where she would most likely be able to survive a famine. Because you see, the land of the Philistines was always a land of plenty compared to the highlands of Palestine. She made a smart choice. It wasn't an easy move, but it was a smart move. She also had a preference for making the move. Because you see, it was the same place Isaac went during a famine with God's approval. You see, if only, if all of our moves showed the wisdom of God that he's given us, and also were supported by past biblical examples, we'd save ourselves a whole lot of trouble. Her response to the command was also a patient obedience. She was in the land of Philistines for seven years. Think about it, seven years to the day. She totally obeyed the command. She didn't go there and decide to stay for a couple of years or four years or six years and and, and 364 days. She totally obeyed. She didn't obey just for a while or when she thought it was okay to leave. She didn't quit. She didn't consider, you know, I've been here long enough. She patiently obeyed her order and stayed to the very end of those seven years. That takes patience to obey to the end. She was told to live somewhere else because of the famine. And I'm sure it might have been tempting for her to go home before the seven years were up. But she didn't. She waited patiently and obediently. You know, she could have said, well, you know, things are looking up. You know, the famine seems to be tailing off now. And, you know, it's not as hard as it was. We can always justify, can't we, for not following God's word. We can justify many times our disobedience. It's usually really hard to obey completely. But you know what? It's the only way to obey if we want the full blessing of God. Partial obedience is is complete disobedience. A lot of people want the full blessing of God, but they don't want to give him full obedience. But it doesn't work that way. If she was to have come home from the land of the Philistines early, she would have been in trouble. Because understand, God had had her move from her home for seven years. What's happened to her home? We'll see in a minute. During that seven years that she was gone, God is moving in her life to deal with this situation that she's going to come home to. When you don't wait out what God asks you to do, if when you don't aren't completely obedient, you're going to be in trouble. Because, because everything that God has worked out for you so perfectly, you're going to mess up. Don't mess up his timing by leaving his appointed place early. God is at work. It will ruin those wonderful divine coincidences that we are going to learn about here in just a few minutes. Look at verse 3 now. 
So she's, she's, she's done her time. She's done her seven years. Now verse 3, it says, It came to pass at the end of the seven years, notice, that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. When the woman comes home, she finds that somebody else is living in it. Someone's taken over her home and her property and they wouldn't give it back. Can you imagine how upsetting it would be to come home and find your house taken over by strangers and all of your belongings in their possession? Boy, you think that would be a big challenge to her faith now. Can you hear the thought process? I can't believe it. I did exactly what God wanted me to do and look what's happened. How many times have you heard that from other believers or even your own? This is what I get for being obedient. I did exactly what God told me to be to do and look what had happened. And she could reason that if this was the result for obeying God, forget it. That maybe it would be better if I didn't. She kind of had the Asaph complex in Psalm 73. Where he envied the wicked and he watched them prosper and have great times. And he said, did I wash my hands in vain? Lord, am I serving you for nothing? She could have thought, Lord, what good did it do me to obey? What good did it do me to leave the land if it only means to come back to find that, my, that I've lost everything? All her belongings, all, all of her property. That's the trial that she's facing now. Coming home is a bigger, bigger trial, a greater trial than she faced leaving her home for seven years. And I think a lot of us would have sat down in this situation and would have had a, a huge pity party. And grumbled a lot. She didn't do this. Once again, what she did showed her great faith. She didn't waste any time in useless crying over what had happened. Over her loss or in faithful, faithlessly criticizing God. What she does is she immediately goes to the king and she asks him to help her to get her land back. Because getting her property back was important. Where is she going to live? And she had legal cause for her request. And it was right for her to seek out the king. The point is, we don't have any business just sitting and complaining about our losses when we can get up and do something about them to fix them. One of the worst things that we can do when we're going through a difficult time is to sit and complain. Because sitting and complaining does not solve my problem. It just adds to my problems. Pouting isn't the way faith behaves, nor is it the way to, save, to solve problems. When the woman came to ask the king for her land, it just so happened. And I know I'm saying that sarcastically. God was already working for her by arranging the circumstances that would help her get her house back. Look at verse 4. Then the king talked with Gehazi, 
the servant of the man of God, Elisha's servant, saying, tell me, please, Gehazi, all the great things Elisha has done. While Elisha's servant, Gehazi, is talking with the king, the king asks Gehazi, hey, tell me about all the great things that Elisha has done. He had most likely heard about the miracles that Elisha had performed. Gehazi, tell me about all the, 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 the great things Elisha has done. So here's Gehazi. He's talking to the king. And about the time that Elisha... He's talking to her about the time that Elisha raised the woman's son from the dead. Okay, a miracle that would easily get the king's attention. Look, look what happens now in verse 5. Now it happened... As he, that is Gehazi, was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appearing to the ki- appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman that is, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. As Gehazi is there talking to the king, telling him this this, this miraculous story about her son uh, being restored to life by Elisha, here walks in the very woman that Gehazi is talking about with her son. And she asks the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi Gehazi breaks out, King, this this is the lady I've been telling you about, king. Can you believe? Here she is with her son. Coincidence? No. The seven years that she was away obeying the Lord, God was working on her behalf because he knew that that house would be taken over. He knew that when she got back, that house was be gone. So he was preparing to her, for her to get it back all of this time. You got to know that when you obey God, he's not going to leave you out to hang to dry. The fact that Gehazi was there with the king as a witness to the Shunammite woman who was the true owner of the land made it easy now for the king to give that land back to her. Like I said, years before when her son had died. Think of it again, this tragic incident because she blamed Elisha. Why did you reward? Why did you give me this son if, you know, if he, you're going to let him, if, if God's going to take him away? But again, God always has his purpose for doing things. Again, as Gehazi was there with the king, as a witness to the Shunammite woman who was the true owner of the land, again, made it easy for the king to give it back when he was telling, her, telling him the story about the son that had died and he revived. Little did she realize, again, one day that that horrible and bitter experience would play an important part in preserving her property. The world would say, what a coincidence. What timing, what a stroke of good luck. But God's people know better. It was God working all things together for good. To those who love God. And it's from my own experience. When my wife and I had separated, and for all 
practical purpose, we were going to divorce. She wanted no part of the marriage, wanted nothing to do with me anymore. And for a, almost a year, we were separated. And I'm trying to get her back. I'm trying to do all the things that guys will do with, you know, cards and candy and flowers. And it was, just wasn't happening. But to make a long story short, she did come back. But during that time, God was working in her heart. I'm thinking it's done. I'm thinking it's over. But I know God's perfect will for me and my wife was to be married. To get back because he'd be glorified. And every time I felt like giving up and saying something stupid, he'd say, hey, stupid, shut up. No, those are my words. They weren't his. But I got the message. I'm working. Don't you mess things up. Let me work behind the scenes. And he was, and he did. And he healed us. Because again, he works all things together for good to those who love God. It was a miracle of divine providence. It was a divinely ordered coincidence. Obedience will find divine providence working for it. Now, this doesn't mean you won't have any trials. <laughs> you know, in that providence. And sometimes the things that God does, they seem like they're a trial. And they seem like they're working against us. But they're not. The trials of the obedient will someday all prove to be circumstances that really are working for the faithful of God. Not against them. When she came in with her son to see the king, at the same time that Gehazi was telling the story, it served to verify Gehazi's story and her request, so it persuaded the king to help her. God was working things out really well for the woman after all. You see, this trial should encourage us, it should encourage believers not to so quickly distrust the Lord. Look at verse 6 now. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. Not only did divine providence help the woman to cause the king to restore her land, but she was given more than she had before. She was given more than her land. See, that's how God works. God's restoration was abundant. The king said, sent a special officer with her and said, give her back her land and give her the value of any cross that had been harvested on her property while she was gone those seven years. That's God. That's how he works. When an, un, when an, when an abundant restoration, it was. It was definitely more than she ever expected. She just wanted her house back. Paul said in Ephesians 3.20, To him who is able to, exceed, to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. She probably wondered, man, will I ever get my house back? Will I ever get my property back? But not only did she get her property back, like I said, she got all the profits that were made off of her land while she was gone those seven years. 
Now those prophets were the frosting on the cake for her. You see, it would be a big help for her to settle down in the land again. To add to this amazing restoration was the fact that it was all ordered by a man, this king, who we wouldn't really think would be all that excited to give her land back. Much less the prophets for the past seven years. But you see, if God wants to, he can make the most unlikely people show kindness to his people. He did it with the Egyptians in Exodus 12.36 when the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians when they left. God told Moses what was going to happen. Moses told Pharaoh. But Pharaoh didn't believe Moses. However, God's word didn't fail. It never does and never will. And just as he said to Moses, the firstborn died in Egypt. And there was a great, great cry in Egypt. And Pharaoh told the Israelites, get out of here. Leave. And the Egyptian people freely gave them of their wealth. Promises were fulfilled that night that were made to Abraham centuries before in Genesis chapter 15. 1 Kings 8.56 says, There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. He did it here. By giving the woman, through a divine coincidence, favor with an ungodly king. In closing, this story positively emphasizes the fact that it pays to serve and obey God. We never give up or lose anything for God without God paying us back sooner or later. Though we shouldn't serve God and obey God because we expect a reward. But that's the way God deals with us. We need to remember that God is a debtor to no man. He doesn't owe us anything. He never owes us an explanation. He doesn't borrow without paying back and with interest. But sometimes when times are rough, it is hard for us to realize this truth the way we should. There are rewards for following Jesus Christ. Now, persecutions are part of the results for serving the Lord as well. But persecution is not all the results, even though sometimes it may seem like that's all we get. The Shunammite woman may have had her faith tested in a lot of ways in the land of the Philistine during those seven years. And she really had her faith tested when she got home and found out that her obedience, it seemed, at the time, cost her everything. She could have been very troubled because, again, she had done exactly what the Lord had told her to do through Elisha. And now she was penniless, but not for long. Time is on the side of obedience. And the Shunammite woman and all the rest who have sacrificed to serve God will one day find out that the check is in the mail. And it can be surprisingly big, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Father, we come before you this evening to thank you so much for your wonderful word, God. And Father, as Paul said, these things were written, Lord, for our admonition, Lord. Lord, for our, our counsel, God. Lord, that we would learn that God is faithful, always true, Lord. That not one word of his promise ever fails, Lord. And that God is not a man that he should lie. 
But Lord, everything that God has promised us, Lord, will come to pass, the good and the bad. And Father, help your people, Lord, to glean from this account of the Shunammite woman's faith, Lord, that faith can be costly, Lord. It can be hard. And hard to understand. But the best thing we can do, Lord, is to submit to your word, God. To believe what you tell us, God. You have proved it over and over and over again for centuries, Father. The church is still here because you are faithful and true. And the Father promised to send his son for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus came as promised. And it's promised he'll come again. And you can bet if he came the first time, he'll come again. But you want to be ready for him when he comes again. You want to receive the Father's gift of salvation through his Son, the forgiveness of sins. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior for whatever reason. The lies this world has told you, stories you've heard, maybe even bad examples of Christians that you've seen. But remember, Jesus Christ is a standard, not anybody else. He's the one to fix your eyes on. He's the one that we will give an account to one day. No one else. And if God has spoken to your heart tonight, and you recognize, I need to have a God that I can trust. I need to have a God that's faithful to his word and keeps his promises to me, even the difficult ones.